Uh, so if you were here last week, you already know this, but we started a series called Identity Theft, and it's really about reclaiming your identity in Christ and, and basically, uh, hopefully, fixing kind of these broken identities that we have. Uh, sometimes as a mobile church, things happen and that sermon didn't get recorded or I would tell you that it was just so foundational for everything we're going to say over the nine we- next the next nine weeks that you should go back and listen to it, but you can't. Uh, it was really good and really foundational and nothing the next nine weeks is going to make any sense at all if you weren't here for that. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but but let, me just, let me catch you up to speed just a little bit uh, because you can't go back and listen to it. So let me just kind of add something here uh, that I probably wouldn't have said. But really what we discovered and what we saw is that we have two choices. We can find our identity in the world, in these things that we have labeled identity idols. Those are things that, that we find kind of our value and our worth in. That's the items of our life. It's an acronym. That's the duties of our life. That's others and what they say about us. That's the longings of our heart. And that's the sufferings that we have endured. And, and we said, you can find your identity in these, but they're always going to leave you kind of hurting and broken and searching and trying to find your identity and with an identity crisis. Or you can find your identity in Christ, as we have up here, and we put the handprints last week. You can find your identity in Christ, and when you begin to find your identity in Christ, you begin to take back the identity that God gave you, even in creation. I mean, at the beginning of creation, when God created us, he said that we were valuable, and that we were honorable, and that, and that we were lovable, and that we had purpose. And a lot of times, you know this already, what God what Satan does, excuse me, what the world does to us, it says, no, you're not that valuable and, and you're not, you don't have a purpose and, and you really aren't worth anything and, and you're probably not lovable because you don't have any value or any worth and you don't have any real purpose. So how could anybody ever love you? And we start, you know this, you already know this, this is not new information. You start to buy into these lies about yourself. And you go from one identity to another saying, is anything going to make me feel good about who I am? But you really, if you're finding your identity in your idols, never going to feel good for that long because you'll never have peace because somewhere inside of you know that your identity is ultimately going to crumble. You're basing it on your good looks, they'll go away. If you're basing it on your duties, someday you'll retire or get fired or whatever it might be. If you're basing it on what other people say about you, somebody's going to say something mean and you're going to have an identity crisis. If you're basing it on your longings, either you're going to fall short of accomplishing those longings or you're going to come to them and they're going to come to fruition and they won't be longings anymore. They'll just be your life and they'll be your duties and you'll have to switch your identity all over again. And today, I want to just kind of dive into one of the things that, that I think is a lot of times maybe the number one, maybe number one place and kind of a thing that's going to determine how we see ourselves and how we fill in that sentence. This is something else we talked about last week. I am, and then if you put a blank there, how do you fill that in? I am. And I think one of the biggest things that we, we kind of fill it in with is whether or not we are good enough. Like a lot of you would probably fill in that sentence with, I am not good enough. And it's kind of this, I don't know, this out there kind of 
uh, hard to grasp a hold of thing. What does it mean to be good enough or not good enough? I mean, right? I mean, it's just kind of this kind of this level that we set at some point or somebody set for us and we don't really know what the level is, but we just kind of feel, if, I think, a lot of times, and I'm not saying you, I'm saying me too, like I'm just, I'm not at that level, whatever that level is. I'm not quite good enough. And I think we start to take on this identity of not good enough at a fairly young age, based on a lot of the things that we've just listed, our idols or whatever, but a lot of times it is based on whether or not we have kind of been chosen. And, and let me just give you a couple of, of reasons that I think this is kind of the case. I think we kind of answer that question, am I good enough, based on whether or not somebody else has chosen us a lot of times. And the, the main reason I believe that is because I've felt it so strongly in, in my life. I mean, I, I, I've been in moments where, where the world, people around you, they just tell you you're not good enough by not choosing you. I mean, let me just give you, re- these are real examples from my life, like not being selected for a team. Uh, I, it's not something that happened to me very often, but I remember quite well uh, not being selected for the BCI team in fifth grade. I was an alternate. And, and I, I, it, what did it say to me? It said, you're not good enough, just in basketball, that kind of example, but you're not good enough. It's like, I'm not good enough. And here's another one, and uh, I think a lot of people know this one, uh, being broken up with. It is a declaration that some people never get over that you're not good enough. And you just, you grasp a hold of it, and that person didn't think you were good enough. And they said, well, it's not you, it's me, but you knew what they meant, it's you. And something inside of you, just, you knew what they were saying. Well, you're great, but you're not quite good enough for me. And somewhere you put it away and you tucked it in your soul. I don't know why I make this motion with soul. I think this is where the soul must reside or something. Doctors would tell you it's a stomach. But, uh, but we tuck it away and we just think, guess I'm not quite good enough. Or how about never getting that girlfriend in the first place? I don't know if that's worse or better. But you ask them out and they say, hmm, sorry, I'm busy Friday night. And you go, not quite good enough give you another one that I've had, not getting a job. You don't get the job, and they say, you know, you know, we went another direction, or they word it however they word it, or whatever, but what do you hear? You just hear, I'm not good enough. I wasn't good enough for that job. They thought somebody else was good enough, but not me. Or how about when people just choose to be mean to you and it kind of feels like not being chosen? I remember exactly where I was standing when one of my best friends, his name was Yasser, I think we were in third or fourth grade, looked at me and said, Chad, you wouldn't be cool if you didn't hang out with us. And I remember it and it still hurts a little bit because it said something. It said, well, I'm not good enough to be cool. It's like, I just get to be friends with you, I guess. It was one of the most arrogant. And he was a good friend, actually. He was like one of my early friends and stayed a friend long after this. And he probably didn't even mean it. He was probably having a bad day. And that's the truth with most of these things. But what did it say to me? Chad, you're not good enough. And below that not good enough statement, no matter how we get it in our heads that we're not good enough, are these questions that I've already kind of mentioned, am I valuable, am I worth anything, do I matter? Am I lovable? And I think that a lot of you, probably right now, if you were being totally honest and nobody was listening and you could just be alone in a room and you you were, how do you fill in the blank I am? You would say, 
I am not good enough. I am not good enough. And this is, this is just, really, our identities being stolen. I mean, if God's created us honored and purposed and blessed and lovable, and then Satan said, Here, here's what sin is, and it entered into the world through Adam and Eve, and we all sin, and we all need forgiveness, and what's happened over time is that our identities have just gone in a totally different direction, and we try to find them in our idols, we try to find them in the things that we have or the duties that we have or what others say or our longings or we try to find them uh, in that S word that just slipped my mind, um, which is our sufferings. And these things a lot of times leave us just going, I'm not good enough. Like when you're a kid, you know, and you look and, and another kid has something that you don't have. Your, your items, the stuff that you have, one of those identity idols. I mean, you go, well, apparently we're just not a good enough family and I must not be good enough to have enough money to do that. We start to fill in that blank, don't we? Or your duties. You look at your job and what your responsibilities are in life and then you compare it to somebody else and you think like, well, if I was just good enough, then I would have that guy's job, you know, or I would, I would be doing something that mattered in the world, but right now I'm not really doing anything that matters that much. Or you just, you know that people have said to you, maybe this week somebody has said something to you and it just, all you heard, even if it was just, I don't have time to hang out with you this week, all you heard was, was you're not good enough to spend time with me this week. Or you have these longings that you just know you'll never achieve and it says, I'm not good enough. Or you've had these sufferings and they point to the fact, they point to your belief, the fact that you believe that you're not good enough. Look what I've been through, you know? I mean, I can't be good enough or else none of this stuff would have happened to me. It would have happened to somebody else, but it happened to me because I'm not good enough. And Paul's gonna say this thing in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 that just shows us that, that we are chosen and we are blessed and that, that all of that, I believe, I really believe this. I, I, I thought I was too preachy last week if I could just kind of pull back the curtain. And I, I, this, is, this is just something I just need to say it to you. And I think what Paul's going to say in this passage is like, it doesn't need to be preached. It just needs to be told. Like you just need to hear what, what Paul is going to say here because we're going to see that if we'll place ourselves in Christ, all of this I'm not good enough stuff can just be destroyed by God saying something quite the opposite to us and about us and for us. And so here's, here's what Paul writes to us on behalf of God in verse three. And it's, I, I think it just obliterates. If we, if we are in Christ, it just obliterates all this negative thinking and all this, this identity theft that's taken place in our lives. Here's how he begins. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heaven, heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He begins with praise be to the God and Father. And the whole 11 verses that we're going to look at, or 12 verses, I guess, 12 verses that we're going to look at this morning are all one big kind of prayer of praise by Paul. It's like Paul just begins this letter with like, I want to thank God for who he has made us if we are in Christ. It's like he's just, just like, I have to pour out this kind of heart of mine because I recognize who God has made me in himself. And he says, first, you'll notice this one here, that we are blessed. Jesus Christ, 
has blessed us in the heavenly realms. Will you say this with me? We're going to do this throughout the sermon today. Will you say, I am blessed? One, two, three. Very good, if you are in Christ. The word translated blessed is a Greek word, ulegetos, from which we get the word eulogy. You could have guessed that probably. And here's the thing, when I see that word and I make the connection, the, the word actually uh, is, is a word that talks about what somebody would say about you. It's, it's about words. When we think blessed oftentimes in the Bible, and there's other words that get translated blessed, but a lot of times we just think about like, I don't know, being made better or, uh, or getting all the stuff that we want or happiness or whatever it might be. But this word is really about the things that are said of us. That's at the core of it. What has somebody said about you? And so even in the New Testament, uh, people can be a blessing using this word to God. And you think, well, how could I ever bless God? How can I make him happier? Or how could I you know, help him in any way? Or he blesses me. I don't bless him. But really, it's about what we say. We bless God because we're like, God is good and we love God and all those things. And this is the same word that's used here. It's a word that means someone has declared your worth and your value, and your honor. And it's oftentimes used in a way that's, that's a figure of speech in order to kind of describe uh, something else that's taken place. And it's similar to like if you said, I'm going to hit the bottle. Hopefully you don't say that too often, but I'm going to hit the bottle. What everybody would know you mean is that you're going to drink alcohol. Uh, and, and so it's kind of this figure of speech. And, and here in Ephesians, it's probably a figure of speech to say, look, in the heavenly realms, great things are said about you because God has done great things in you if you are in Christ. I just, I think, if you're like me, you hope at the end of your life, when somebody is eulogizing you, when somebody is saying something about you, that they say great things about you. Don't you? I mean, don't you sometimes wish you could just like listen to your funeral like in uh, Huckleberry Finn or whatever, like you could listen to people talk about you because you want to know, you want to believe that when it's all over and people are talking about you, that they're going to say things that, that make you sound really valuable and important and lovable and all of those things. You want, I think we all want to know that people have Good things to say about us. And Paul says, I mean, think about that. Because some of you, you go, no, nobody says anything good about me. And some of you have this self-talk. I know this because I interact with you. Some of you have this self-talk that says, even when people say good things to my face, what, they really mean something else. They really are just being nice to me. I, I have people that in our congregation that actually have said people are just being nice to me. And, and it's like, Here's what Paul is saying. This is huge. This is such a big deal. God in the heavenly realms is saying good things about you because you are now, if you are now, in Christ. You see, the eulogy that's taking place in heaven currently already is a eulogy that suggests that you are honored and that you are loved and that you are blessed and that you are important and that God has given you purpose and that God thinks very, very highly of you. I just, just a side note, I mean, when I think about this, I think every time I've kind of thought this, through this, it just, it's like a verse that I wish every person could just hear that's thinking about committing suicide. Because isn't that kind of when people get to the end, they just think like, well, I'm not important 
to anybody and so it won't matter if I cease to exist or I'm not lovable or I don't have any value or any worth to the world anymore and so why don't I just, why don't I just end it all because I don't have any of those things? And, and here is Paul saying, look, if you place yourself in Christ, if you become a Christian, then in the heavenly realms, which doesn't just refer to a location, it refer, refers to a spiritual reality. In the heavenly realms, great things are already being declared about us and our value and our worth, about who we are and our identity. You know, the NT writers, they looked for a way to explain things that, that previously that nobody in the history of the world had ever had to explain. And one of those, uh, and so they created these phrases, and one is in Christ. And let me just pause to kind of explain what in Christ means. It means that we have become Christians, and which is really cool. And, and, and we have accepted the fact that Jesus died on a cross for us, and then he rose again according to Scripture so that our sins could be forgiven. And we say, Jesus, I accept that. I believe that. I will give you my life. And then the Bible kind of describes this thing where, where now our identities are now found like actually in Christ, like we are placed in him. You can picture it like you're over here, and then you become a Christian and now you're over here and you're wrapped up in who Christ is and what Christ has said about you. That's a big deal. That's a really important thing in the book of Paul. And one of the things that we often say as Christians is that we should, or that Christ is in us. We talk about that a lot, but perhaps more in modern Christianity, we should talk about us being in Christ. Because it's nice to picture a little Jesus in your heart when you're a kid floating around in there or whatever he does, you're right? We like that and the Bible uses that language. But it's, in my mind, even cooler to be in Christ because it gives me a new identity and gives me forgiveness for my sins and it suggests something great about where I am versus just where Jesus gets. And I think that maybe we, we view our relationship with Jesus wrong because we picture Jesus as a little part of our hearts. And we go, well, I got all this other parts of me that can do whatever I want. But, you know, Jesus, I'll talk to you every now and then. But when we go into Christ, doesn't that change everything? I mean, think of it this way. Think of it this. If somebody from Canada moves to America and becomes your neighbor, then you know a Canadian. But if you move to Canada... All of a sudden, you have to change some of your customs and the sport that you watch and what you end every sentence with, eh? You know, I mean, that's what has to, it changes everything. And you could pick a more extreme example. I mean, you could pick an African country or even Mexico would be a more extreme example. To know a Mexican person it is not quite like going and living in Mexico. And the Bible is saying about being in Christ, being a Christian, that it's not just having Jesus come into your life, it's actually you going into Jesus' life and that. I think changes everything about us. He continues in Ephesians 1 4. For he chose us, I could just stop there, right? For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Will you say, I am chosen? Very good. This verse and verses like it cause huge theological conversations. I mean, what does it mean to be chosen when in the order of salvation did God choose us? Did God choose us apart from his knowledge that we would accept him as our savior or did God choose us based on whether he foreknew that we would choose to accept him as our savior? And here's, here's what I have to say about that today. That is not Paul's point. And every theological argument that I've had, which is a lot about this very topic right here, are completely missing the point of what Paul is saying. 
What Paul is trying to get at here is not how you came to salvation. What Paul is trying to get at here is what you have when you are saved. One, one author said it this way, uh, and, and some of you may not like this, but I think it gets us to the heart of, of what Paul is trying to get at. Individuals are not elected and then put in Christ. They are in Christ and therefore elect. Paul doesn't look at non-Christians and go, sorry, not elect, kids. Uh, it would be great if you could get all this stuff that we have in Jesus, but mm, God didn't pick you. He looks at Christians every single time and says, hey, good news. Now that you're in Christ, I know this about you. God has chosen you. Paul is not writing here. I'd like to point this out again. I've already said it. He is not writing a giant theological discourse here to say, look, let me tell you about the order of salvation as, as it would be called in theological circles. Let me talk to you about how you got to this point. He's saying, hey, God, I'd like to thank you for what we are, what we know about ourselves because we have come to this point, because we are now placed in Christ. Paul's focus on election here is not like our theological thinking, but rather to express the greatness of God in choosing those of us who are Christians. Let me read it again. But Paul's focus on election here is not like our theological thinking, but rather to express the greatness of God in the choosing of those who are Christians. If we focus, this is somebody else's quote, if we focus on praising God for valuing us and if we realize the responsibility that his valuing brings, we have understood Paul and the other questions on election recede in importance. No one should worry whether he or she is elect. The main question is, are you in Christ and one with him? You see, Paul's point in this passage is to say, look, if you're a Christian, God has chosen you. And being chosen is a beautiful thing because being chosen says, I value you enough. I think you're lovable enough. I think that you have been created in a way that matters enough for me to pick you. Two extreme examples, BCI is a fifth grader, mentioned that one, wasn't selected. Had this other great memory though. Uh, it was my first tryout for AAU basketball uh, and I think I was in fifth grade and you try out, you're nervous. I don't know if you ever tried out for anything. It's very stressful um, it, because you're asking, you really are. You're going, am I good enough? That's the question you want to know. And me and my dad went into the bathroom at McNary High School and we're going to the bathroom in the stalls there and all of a sudden my dad's like, shh, 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 shh. And tells me to be quiet. And so we're sitting there. I'm thinking, this is kind of weird. And my dad has realized that you can hear the coaches talking through a grate in the bathroom wall. And, and we knew in that moment because they, they said I was on the team. And I think they even said in a really nice way that I was on the team. And in that moment, I felt pretty good. And because I had relieved myself too. But, uh, but you know, I, it was a great moment. It's a moment I look back on and think, yeah, that was pretty awesome. You know, I was... I was chosen. I was good enough to make the team. Think about this. Think about all, all of the things, all of the moments in life where you have just felt either really good or really bad because somebody has chosen you or not chosen you. You can think of P.E. in school. Those were stressful moments, right? I mean, those were... I And I... I'm an athletic guy, uh, and it was stressful for me because I'm thinking, like, I better get selected first. But I know for some of you, I empathize with you, that you're thinking, just pick me, you know? Like, please don't let me be the last kid. There's a great Wonder Years episode about that whole thing, and, and Kevin doesn't 
pick his friend Paul, uh, and Paul ends up being the last selection into the second last last two last selection, and they get super mad at each other because of it. And it's all because in those moments we're gonna feel really good or really bad if we're picked or not. Man, that's a terrible way that whole picking thing. Uh, how about certain friends? You've looked around in your life and you've thought either I'm pretty awesome because I get to hang out with these people or you've thought I'm just not that cool. I guess I kind of got you. You know, like uh, uh, that's kind I mean, you, I know it's in your heads. Like we're not honest about that. Hopefully you're not going to have any friends anymore. But sometimes you look at the cooler people in life and you think like, oh man, I would love to be in that crowd. You've probably said that crowd before in your life if you're my age. If you're younger than me, maybe that's not a term people use anymore. Uh, but like you wanted to be in the in crowd and you were in the out crowd and, and that just kind of happened to you. And it or maybe you were in the in crowd and then you felt good. Or what about when a college either chose you or didn't choose you? One felt good, one felt bad, right? I mean, you know, like on either side of that. Or how about a certain job? You couldn't get it or you did get it or whatever and it felt good. Or you got that girlfriend that I mentioned earlier and it felt good, you know, and hopefully you're still married to him and you're thinking, yeah, baby, she chose me and not you, you know? This is what Paul's getting at. When it comes to Jesus, you got picked in P.E. And he wanted you on his team. I mean, Jesus has, this is, this is incredible news. You are chosen if you are in Christ. Paul's point is not about how you got there. Paul's point is this. God loved you enough to actually pick you. And you might ask this question. Oh, wait, he says to be holy and blameless. This is a big deal, too, and we'll come back to that question in a second. To be holy and blameless in his sight. Say, I am holy and blameless. A big part of the feeling of not being good enough is just looking at yourself and saying, I have real problems. Some of the times, the, the reasons that you kind of say, well, I'm not good enough is because you look at your life and you rightfully go, well, I do have these things that I have done wrong. And Paul here says, well, in Jesus, good news, you have become blameless. I love that word blameless. It's a Greek word. It's a compound word. And it comes from uh, two words that mean without or, and then spot or blemish. You are without spot or blemish if you are in Christ. Now, let me, this is side note here because I think every one of you who are Christians would believe that God has forgiven you and he's cleansed you and now that you've been forgiven and you're blameless and you're spotless. But a lot of you don't actually believe it. I even prayed, I prayed this, this, this is embarrassing almost, but I was praying, I was even thinking about my sermon and I prayed and I said, God, I know I'm not blameless. Like, uh-oh, like I'm preaching on this this week. I actually said those words out loud, standing in my kitchen. God, I know I'm not blameless. And Paul says, oh, actually, in Christ, you are blameless because Jesus died for your sins and he rose again. I want to say this one again because I've seen this problem in our church a lot, it seems like, where we, we're like, yeah, I'm saved by Jesus, and yeah, I've been forgiven of my sins, but let me just hold on to all of these spots and these blemishes and kind of tell you about them and think about them all the time. Ready? I am holy and blameless. Very good. We sing this song, but do we really believe it? Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And Paul says you ought to believe it. You ought to believe that by the blood of Jesus, you have been made white like snow. And then 
Ephesians 1, 4 through 8. He says, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. You are adopted. Will you say, I am adopted? You see, your parents often drive your identity. You know that already. I said this last week. From the time you're really young, you're already forming an identity. And it's, it's wrapped up in the things that your parents say for you, the things that your parents do for you. And some of whose identities were destroyed at a very young age because you had parents that were mean to you, parents that were just didn't do anything with you, just kind of put you in the other room and said, figure out life. Or you had parents that, that disappeared on you and they went somewhere else altogether. And from a very young age, that says, I, you know this, right? You already, this is not new information. I'm not teaching a psychology class here. You already know that somewhere inside of you, you've gone, I'm not good enough. If I would have, and you would never vocalize this because you know that the counselor or the psychologist would say, well, this isn't true. And you know that anybody you talk to would say it's not true. But if you were being honest, somewhere inside of you would feel like at least and maybe believe if I was good enough, then they would have said nice things to me or they would have been there more for me or they would have never left me. And Paul, this is, this is good. This is good what Paul says because Paul says, God has chosen to adopt us. That's kind of the ultimate form of saying, look, I look at you and I see you as valuable and, and, and lovable and I see you as having purpose and I see you uh, as somebody who has worth, right? Because I like a lot of you and I love a lot of you, but I wouldn't adopt you. <laughs> I mean, like that's where there's some kind of line drawn, right? Like, I even, even think of this, like, I love a lot of you and I like a lot of you, but it wouldn't be like something that I just set my mind to like, hey, I really need them to move in with us, you know, because that's how awesome they are. I really just want them to come in to my house, you know, and just be a part of uh, me and Bren's family. I mean, that's, and, and it's not that I, it's just that that's like the ultimate, right? I mean, that's the ultimate. Like, I think highly of you is somebody adopting you as their own. We even say that in language, right? Like I, I, we've said things like, they've adopted me as their own. It's not an official adoption. It's just like if you didn't have a parent around or something and somebody looked at you and they kind of took you in, they took you under their wing and they, and they cared for you. Uh, there's a great story, Myers Leonard, my new favorite trailblazer after the playoffs. Uh, if you could go find his backstory, it's, it's fantastic and amazing. Uh, his dad died, his mom uh, got uh, really some mental, serious mental issues and a Christian family just, just kind of took him in as their own. He still lived at home. He still has a relationship with his mom. But if they were going to a sporting event or the zoo or whatever, they would take Myers Leonard with them. And if you listen to the guy talk uh, and you, you actually pay attention to kind of who he is, he, he seems like a, a Christian guy that, that really is pretty well put together and has his head on right. And it's because somebody looked at him and I think said, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. You might feel like your identity is crumbling, but we think something of you. And, and here's the awesome part. God has done this for all of us, every one of us. Romans 8, 14 through 16, for, it says this, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit 
you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirits that we are God's children. It's like such a relationship that God wants to have with you that, that this word Abba is, is the closest translation would be daddy for us. And, and what God is saying is like, we, you have been brought into a relationship with me where you can look at me and you can call me daddy because I loved you and I valued you so much. It says that you are redeemed. Can you say, I am redeemed? Redemption is the idea of being bought back. Three of its 10 New Testament usages are in the book of Ephesians. And, and really what it's saying is that Jesus paid the price for you. And he paid that price. This is how the Bible tells us he paid that price by shedding his own blood. Does anything more suggest a new identity than somebody willing to spill their blood for you? I mean, somebody that didn't just dive in front of a bullet out of a reaction, but spent, you know, like, like eternity thinking about how someday they would willingly give themselves so that they could have a relationship with you. I mean, think about Jesus sitting up in heaven before he came to earth because we believe that Jesus is eternal. Going, man, do they have enough value? Are they lovable enough? Do they matter enough for me to go down there and die the most torturous death that has ever been died on earth? And he answered that question with a yes. When the Bible talks about redemption, it's talking about us being purchased by the blood of Jesus. And what does that say about our identities? It's important. It says that we are rich. Will you say, I am rich? Ephesians over and over and over again speaks of, of the benefits of being in Christ and how rich we are in Christ and speaks specifically of God's grace for believers and the benefits of it 11 times. And one author said this, with this exuberant language, Paul enables his readers to feel deeply the value and importance God has placed on them, on you. Ephesians 1.18, one of those verses, says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious grace, excuse me, his glorious inheritance in his holy people. There are two ways to understand that idea of inheritance. And one of them is to say that we get an inheritance from God. That's probably its most regular way that it's understood. The other one is to say that we are in fact God's inheritance. And the language is okay with that. Now think about that. Either way you go. Whether God is looking at us and saying, hey, let me tell you about you. You're rich and valued because I give you an inheritance or even more, you're rich and valuable and you can see it because I view you as my inheritance as if God should need something from us. And either way you understand it, it says something very important. You are really valuable and important. God has lavished gifts upon you and God is happy. He's, I don't know if you can say this about God, but, but he, he is, enjoys the fact that we have given ourselves to him. I, that's incredible that God would find any satisfaction from bringing me into his kingdom by his blood and by his incredible mercy. And Paul, in the middle of all this, answers a question that you might have. You might say, Why? I mean, why has God adopted me and why has God redeemed me and why has God forgiven me and why has God given me his richness and poured out his inheritance on me or viewed me as, in his, as his inheritance? Why? 
And the simple, easy answer comes to us right in that passage. It says, in accordance with his pleasure and will. It's what God wanted to do. That's pretty neat. God didn't have some divine mandate towards himself to need to save you and bring you into him. Instead, God looked down. He saw you. I'm talking about you if you're in Christ. I'm not talking about other people. I'm not talking about, you know, somebody else. I'm not talking theoretically. I'm talking about you. He looked down. He saw you. And he said, hmm, I want to save them. And I want to adopt them. And I want to redeem them. And I want to make them rich. That is pretty incredible. I just want to read kind of the last few verses because you say, I want that identity, right? I mean, don't you, don't you want to be all these things blessed and chosen and, and forgiven and redeemed and adopted? Don't you want to replace I am not good enough with all of that? And Paul just tells us how we can replace that old identity with I am blessed, chosen, blameless, adopted, redeemed, and rich. You say, what do I got to do to earn it? And he says, you just accept the gift. And here's what he says in verses 11 through 14. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. See, we can be in Christ by believing the message of truth. You know John three sixteen probably, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And in Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And this is great news for two reasons. One, because if you're not a Christian, you don't have to do anything to earn this new identity in Christ. You don't have to get a new idol. You don't have to work really hard. You simply believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and that he rose again according to scriptures and you give him your life. You say, Jesus, I believe it and I'll give you myself. And you become a Christian and now you are in Christ and you are adopted and chosen and blameless and forgiven and redeemed and God's family. Here's the other reason that that's really good news. I know a lot of Christians who think something like this. Sure, I'm a Christian now and sure I should have my identity in Jesus but I've done this and that and I'm not good enough here and that person said this and I'm just not that successful in this area of my life and I made that sin and I made that choice and I should have done this differently and I have that broken relationship and my kids don't really like me or my parents don't really like me and so therefore I can't have that identity. And all you're doing according to Paul is trying to earn something that's already been given to you. I mean, because Paul isn't saying like, if you're a Christian and you figure some things out, then hey, new identity, guys. He's saying, if you're a Christian, then this is your identity. No way to earn it. It's a free gift. And so what I want you to hear, pastor to you, just my heart to your heart, is you need to stop finding your identity in all these idols. 
Because some of you kind of cloak it in a Christian kind of veil like, well, Jesus didn't want me to do that, and so my identity has to be in these things over here. It's idolatry. If you are a Christian, you have a new identity. No way to earn it. No way to lose it. In fact, I believe that what Paul says is that the deposit, the Holy Spirit who is guaranteeing it, he's guaranteed it. First of all, that's good news, right? It's a big deal. Yeah. And second of all, I think that, that it shows us that somewhere inside of us, we already know that this is our identity. And when we let this win over here, we are listening to Satan. When we go, well... I would like to think that I am chosen and blessed and blameless, but if you look at what others say about me, all you're doing is making them your idol. You're making those people your idol because God has already said something different. Well, I'd like like to find my identity in Christ, but look at how much I've suffered. Well, that's just you being an idol, your own idol. I mean, it's all about you at that point. You know, I'd like to find my identity in Christ, but I got these things that I really want to accomplish. That's idolatry of of vision and future and all that. Jesus has declared that if you are a Christian, if you've given your life to Jesus, then this is your identity, blameless and chosen and adopted and redeemed and forgiven and everything else that comes along with it. So claim your identity. Stand in Christ. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you for this. Because we've all been there, God. We all have these moments where we just don't feel good enough. We all have these moments where we just look and the world isn't choosing us for whatever thing or or this or that, God, and, and we just think, well, I must not be good enough. But Lord, you showed us that, that we are valuable and, and have worth and are lovable and, and have purpose and we're even honored, God. And you showed it to us through the cross. And God, all of us who are in you, who've, who've claimed that gift, I pray that you would just, you just stop our negative self-thinking and you would stop us from, from getting caught up in the lies of Satan and the lies that the world tells us through the media and books and all the stuff that we read and see, Lord, and we would, we would listen to what you have declared for us. Lord, I pray for any person that's not a Christian here this morning, Oh man, God, their identities are just destroyed. It doesn't really matter if they feel good or bad about themselves. Their identities are all in the wrong things and they'll ultimately crumble. And I pray that you would bring them to you and help them to accept the gift that you have offered. And it is a glorious gift, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.